I stand at your gate, madam, on time, 7.30, Saturday, as requested. It's cold. It's taken time. Two hours to be exact. To wake, to wash, to walk. Taxi one, bus one, taxi two. To walk. At your gate, 7.30, Saturday, on time. As requested. Your convenience, madam. But you forgot. You are sleeping. Your phone is off. What must I do? Shout? Will you hear? Hundreds of years of frustration. Servant, servitude at your gate. 7.30, Saturday, on time. Waiting for you to wake up. Change is coming. For you. For me. But I suspect that while your color may change, I will still be at your gate, waiting for you to wake up. But you, madam, will still be sleeping. But I am, madam, on time. So this is a poem about domestic workers by Robert Werther that was published at the beginning of July this year. So, Tuliza Cindy, hello. Hi. <laughs> M. Shizzle, how what, are you? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> good. What do we think? I I find it so interesting, the, the tone that you use to read the poem, because mm. it speaks of a perpetual frustration mm. at something that is a consistent occurrence. Mm. And yet I can imagine that that's probably the tone that a domestic worker would use if she wanted to bring it up with her madam. Mm. So, and then also just, just the amount of times that she would probably say madam mm. in the process of explaining how, mm. you know, something needs to change. Mm. I, I do find that in general, there is a, a, a quiet or a quietness about the anger that mm. domestic workers feel. And I don't know if the blatant anger has been subdued by circumstance and by power dynamics. And also, at the same time, it feels like there's a certain apathy and exhaustion, like you're saying, right? Like a tiredness about it. Yeah. And I mean, the the kind of, the, the writing style is like breathless sentences, you know, mm. like three or four words per sentence. Mm. So it's just, it's so abrupt. But there's also like, I think, a respectfulness. It's... The worst thing I feel to balance, you know, and I certainly feel this way in African culture because we're taught to respect our elders, you know. Sometimes I'll feel frustration with someone who's older than me that I feel I have to respect. But actually, like, I'm just fucking angry. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I I feel like I, I just... Like, I want to be disrespectful and kind because I feel disrespected, but I can't. So you have to balance the indignation and the anger and the frustration with a level of, of respect. And it's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. It's the most frustrating thing ever. And who does it protect? Because it's interesting, like, a lot of the times we'll say that the person that hurts someone else... um, 
you know, they, they didn't know that they were hurting them. Mm. But at the same time, it's that these kinds of actions are the things that protect the one that hurts the other, mm. you know? So like if, if someone's domestic worker is going to them with this kind of tone, mm. poised, Mm. Uh, respectful mm. Would that person ever know How much it hurts them Would it? Would they ever know Just the extent to which This is a difficult situation for them You know no, what I mean And it's would... and it's so unfortunate Because it really just protects It's ironic Because the person who is being hurt Is protecting the one who isn't being hurt mm. But at the same time Unfortunately the truth is that They're protecting themselves And their livelihood You know Yeah but Because they're their job is under threat. I do find that um, a black female tone, though. Mm, completely. And maybe decreasingly as we kind of gain our emancipation and we find ourselves and we stand in our strength. But historically, you know, if I think about the way my mom would address my dad sometimes, she never lost her composure. She still doesn't to this day. No matter how livid she is and how maddening he is never loses her composure hmm. you know and when my grandmother talks to my dad as well mm. his mother oh his own mother mm, oh, wow. takes okay. a lot takes a lot for her to lose her composure really? and the anger comes out in her words because you can you can hear that what she's saying is angry or hurt but there's a composure about it. But I mean, aren't we aren't we considered crazy if yeah, of course, or or just too emotional or um, irrational? Mm. And that's look, that's call. females in general, right? Yeah. But I mean, can you imagine then the weight of of that for a housekeeper, mm. dude? It must be crazy. There's just so many things like restraining you at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also think then it it there is something generate. Generationally, that's passed down. Yeah. You know, that like, I think you've got to be aware of, mm. you know, because it's something we just like, we just pick up. Yeah. From the women who raise us. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things that I thought was, I mean, sad, but also poignant is Saturday. <laughs> you know, that this oh. was happening on so Saturday. So speaking of Saturday... For me, I think what resonated with me most and haunts me most increasingly about this poem is that the most devaluating thing you can do to someone, even beyond grossly undercompensating them, is to disrespect their time. And I'm finding that in my own life. Because that, to me, in itself is economic exploitation, right? Mm. And we've often spoken about how time is our greatest commodity. You buy sliced bread, right? You're paying so you don't have to make it. And so you don't have to slice it. Time is like the fundamental, one of the fundamental things that we pay for. And that also makes it probably the one of the fundamental things we have to trade as people, right? To like earn a living. And so for that to be disrespected is a Mind-blowing to me And it's it's done over and over and over again in this industry And then, I mean, the way that The, the way that it highlights uh, That it's taken her two hours To be exact To walk, to wash, to walk Taxi one, bus one, taxi two And For some That is a quick route 
you know, for some that's a quick journey. Mm. It's crazy. It, it, and it's a thing that doesn't get taken into account enough in this country, but particularly in this job. And we've seen again and again how difficult logistics are for domestic workers because public transport is rough. You know what I mean? And Especially if you have multiple jobs, for instance, you're a domestic worker, you work in three different homes and then you live, um, somewhere else in a township. It's extremely hard to get around and you probably have kids, you know, and maybe you have to pick them up and they, you, your, your life must happen alongside. Yeah. So it's, it's really, really, really onerous. And I mean, domestic workers are underpaid in general for a lot of things, but I think even if they were paid, the thing that might still even if they were paid decently, a thing that might still not get it, get taken into account is how long it takes a domestic worker who doesn't live in to get to work. You know, I was talking to, to our helper the other day and she was saying, cause we live in a complex and so she works in, in multiple apartments in that complex. So she's able to charge a little bit higher. She was saying that she left her house at like 4am the other day and it's winter. <laughs> You know how susceptible they are to rape. That's the other thing violence. we have to consider here is safety, it is right? Absurd. Right? Women in general in this country are under threat constantly. So if you're leaving your house before dawn, that's another element. So she's leaving before dawn to get to work at six. I mean, I've had students who have chosen willingly to be late to for university classes so that they don't get, you know, mugged mm. on the way to university. Mm. But, I mean, they can make that decision because they're not going to university to earn money. Mm. You know, they like they can still get their degree. Mm. But, you know, the repercussions for a domestic worker just saying, I'm not I'm going to arrive late because mm. I might get raped. Mm. You know, the, I mean, so many so many employers just literally cut that hour or no, two worth it. of wages out. They absolutely wouldn't take it. And the other thing is. Like if you're not paying me, you see, if I choose to take public transport, mm. then the onus is on me, right? To make sure that I arrive on time because it's my transport of choice. But if you're not paying me enough to buy a car. That should be a discussion that's had actually because it's it's a terrifying reality. What I also found interesting though was the word wash. So to wake, to wash, to walk. Mm. And wash, I mean, a lot of times is associated to lower income earners mm. that don't bath and they wash. So I thought that was also an interesting mm, but detail for me, to the, add. I thought, gosh, and this guy is white and he's channeling all these things. Yeah, and we must talk about that amazing. later. But <laughs> um, there's a functionality to wash. Yeah. It's not fun. You know Completely. what I mean? So I, I think it, it, it emphasizes the practicality. Mm. And the necessity of what she's doing completely, rather than something completely. she wants to do. You know what I mean? There's still something about like, oh, I woke up, I took a shower. Yeah. You know, yeah. that speaks to a certain privilege. Mm, mm. Uh, but to wash. <laughs> it speaks to a certain rhythm. Gosh, for me, there's just nothing sadder than the fact that she then arrives to someone who is sleeping. Oh, and can't and isn't picking up her phone. I swear... The way we disrespect, and I will include myself in this because I certainly have in the past and it's something I have to think about more and more and more and more. And we've spoken about how the problem with domestic workers, it's not regimented and this word domestic workers are very loosely applied. It could mean any range of activities in a house in any number of hours or days or months. And essentially, like, 
even if you have some kind of a, a schedule for your domestic worker and you agree when she do, does things and how, how long and when she knocks off and whatnot, usually that isn't the case, right? We do in general just expect domestic workers to do what we need when we need it. Even keeping them waiting. You know, I don't know the, as an au pair, how many times like a domestic worker has had to knock off late because the parents weren't home in time. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. That's shady. That happens. It's a thing. It's a thing that happens. That is so terrible. That is and I mean, so terrible. Think about this. Think about, think about, um, employers who take their domestic workers to restaurants with them to mind the children. Right? Mm. Like even that is just, and then often they'll even put her at a separate table with the kids. Like, you, you just don't respect this person's time. They're just literally, they may as well be like a limb. They're an appendage. (laughs) that's that's not a that's not a (laughs) far-fetched analogy though it isn't and i mean like also like the amount of times that in here it says as requested Mm -hmm. i feel so uncomfortable with that because you know it's that although yes this is one of the ways that her time is taken from her she still wants to tend to their needs Mm. i I mean i don't know if want is the word but Mm. Um, she has to. That's the job. It's, it's just so uncomfortable because I just don't know how how autonomous that decision is. No, it's not autonomous because when, I feel like whenever you say to somebody, "I'm here as requested," or "I've done something as requested," there's an implication that you're not doing it because you want to. And then the Saturday thing, yo, I mean speaks to like how they don't even get weekends Mm. so for me when i read that this became a a poem about time it made me so it made me so angry and speaking of time so it's 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 clearly set in the way he's written it is it's set during apartheid right because he kind of foreshadows that nothing will change But, but he's almost written it reflectively so he would have to know that nothing will change, except that maybe color. employers will become more diverse in color, which is in yeah. fact what has happened. Yeah. Right? And this really frustrates me because it almost feels as though racial equality was supposed to fix a lot more than it actually does. It it, it feels like by the time we get to racial equity, we're going to need to have a TRC for classism and a number of other things. You know what I mean? And that's not to take away from the importance and the the urgency of racial equity. But, like, there's just so much more, you know? And I think it it was a very, I mean, it was a very important point to make that, you know, like, color didn't change the power dynamic. Mm. The color change didn't change the Mm. power dynamic. We tend to become what is most acceptable in each class that we climb into. I, I guess it really speaks to like just an existing status quo that we 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 tend to subscribe to. Mm. Or uh, you know, and the other thing for me that's sad is that like 
the change doesn't speak to the fact that domestic work still exists and working class jobs still exist and people are still um, poor. You know what I mean? That's not, it's not an economic thing for me, right? Because I think that those jobs are still important. For me, it's the nature of the relationship, the interaction. You know, it's everything else. It's like, it's, it's the power dynamic, like you're saying. But the, you, the shame, the indignity, the way that we treat domestic workers. But that's know, what hasn't changed. But you know, at the same time, like I think about, um, just employees in positions that they don't want to be in. I know, like, I'm a terrible employee. Like, I shouldn't be, mm. on average, employed because I, I just suck at it. Like, I can't take orders. Girl. I'm trying to hurt somebody Somehow all the time. I suspect that you're better than me. <laughs> Friend, oh, like, it's a mind blowing to me. Like, I, <laughs> I had, I must say, I've, I had really patient enough bosses, but, I I always knew, like in those positions with the nonsense that I was pulling, mm. that I wouldn't tolerate it of myself. Mm. Like I would have come hard at me mm. if I was my own employer. Mm. And so it it wasn't necessarily like I didn't imagine looking down on myself, but I would have been hard on myself, mm. you know. And so I wonder as well sometimes if yes, the color may change, but if inherently that position that that your employee is filling is terrible and pleasant she doesn't want to be there mm-hmm. and and that's the kind of that's the kind of character that's embodying that role whether those those tensions then arise because you're trying to have your employee be the best employee your employee doesn't necessarily care to be the best employee because she wants more out of life and feels stuck do those power dynamics masked masked as as power relationships play themselves out also as a reflection of something being fundamentally wrong with the fact that someone just feels completely stuck in their position. You get cases where like domestic workers are proud of their work. Yeah, completely. You know, and they get on with their employers and they go above and beyond and not because they're under threat, because they want to, you know, because the employers are bringing enough to the table, uh, be it financially, but, and, you know, that's not even often the case. Often a domestic worker can still be paid, like, what the very low standard is, but get so much out of the way she is received and treated in her home. You know, and the support she gets in other ways. Mm. So I think... Yeah, it does depend, definitely. I think it, I think it absolutely depends. But then what I find interesting is this one literally like hit me to my core. What must I do? Shout. I find mm. that very ambiguous actually mm. in that, yes, it applies to this moment and these mm-hmm. kinds of moments, mm. but it also feels like it applies to their everyday existence in that role in general, mm. that they are not heard. Precisely. And that's precisely, I think, why I read it in that tone even though I wasn't thinking about it. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm. I've obviously assimilated so much um, through this process of understanding domestic workers in the industry, you know, and connecting with their stories. Because I actually don't know why I read it. I could have read it in any, in any tone, right? I could have, like, shouted. Um, I could have been sarcastic, facetious. Yeah, facetious. 
Um, but instinctively, I read it that way. It's, yeah, it's, I like it's so, it's so spot on because then the line that follows is hundreds of years of frustration. And I think, is that the weight that she's carrying mm. when she's standing by that gate mm. that the madam is not carrying? There are two sets of people here who have inherited behaviors completely and mindsets, right? Whether or not the madam realizes, and she probably doesn't, she has inherited a certain, you know, it's become a norm to her. Yeah. Um, but she certainly, not necessarily to blame as an individual, mm-hmm. right? Um, it goes further back. It's generational. But if the room to tell her that that is wrong is never available, mm. when will she ever know? You know, mm. if, if this is always the tone mm. that will be presented to her, mm. when will that oblivion end? Mm. You know what I mean? No, but it's, it's, it's just, yeah, I think it's entrenched on, on both sides because then she, maybe this is the first time this particular madam ever treats her this way, right? But she is a domestic worker. She's been a domestic worker and she, she, she's been a domestic worker. She carries the, the weight of all domestic workers. Mm. So I wonder to what extent, like, even if you've been a domestic worker for two months, to what extent does the weight of the legacy affect you and your attitude? Just knowing. I would imagine, I would imagine that maybe when, like, you feel unable to be honest. Mm. You know, have do you think? I almost think it, it probably kicks in automatically. And I've often thought about this. I don't think it does. I've often thought about this. Firstly, when I became an au pair, but then when I started to think, hmm, would I be a domestic worker? When I became an au pair, I was a much less vocal and assertive version of myself. There's a the minute I became an au pair, like I would almost go from my house where I had absolute freedom um, and from my social circle and my background, right, to then being in that role in someone's house. And I felt like I felt instantly that my power was diminished. Because, you know, like some, some will tell us that, yeah, like they, they walked into the role, they had confidence and stuff. And mm. then, you know, the boss decides that they're going to start checking their rooms randomly mm. without letting them know. And then they're going to uh, all of a sudden, you know, split the cutlery that they use. And, mm. you know, and then those things start to affect. But I feel like I might automatically accept more abuse and more of that kind of inhumanity if I... If I filled that role, you know what I mean? Cause I would feel like, cause I would feel like the role, something about my, my behavior and the expectations of that role precede it. But equally so, there's something about the way that the bosses behave mm. that can prevent that. Mm. You know? But in the same token, the way that it. they, the bosses behave also when you employ a domestic worker, there's something about being a madam or an employer of a domestic worker where you might be just the most uh, generous and equitable person in other aspects of your life. Right? But because of the, the status quo and the nature of the, the madam 
domestic worker relationship. I mean, I take like my family, for instance, right? We've always paid our domestic workers fairly, but fairly within the parameters of a really, really unfair bracket pay scale. And like, I feel like we're good people. My mom's always been such a kind and giving person. You know, she really helps people out and she, she, she's always, she's always been good to our domestic workers in other ways and provided support and, you know, like just allowed them to take, and even the word allowed them to take liberties. Can you hear how I'm speaking? Mm. Do you see what I mean? And this is like, I'm conditioned this way, mm. but now I'm, I, I obviously like, I hear myself. And I think that's the important thing. But there's something about the way you speak, the way you think when you employ a domestic worker that precedes it as well. Yeah, no, it's definitely been one of the most dangerous misconceptions about injustice that if you're nice, you can't be unjust. Mm, absolutely. That's a very unfortunate thing, you know, and and that you're also not necessarily evil if you are unjust. Mm. You know, that it's not a reflection on like what you are as a person mm. because sometimes it's just having subscribed to the way a society works, mm. the way it operates. And I almost imagine just to make it a little bit like slightly controversial. It's almost like those Af- Afrikaans people or white people during, during apartheid who had black employees who they thought they treated well, but the system was unjust. So when the system changed and the expectation changed and the standards changed, they couldn't identify anything wrong with their behavior, mm. you know? So they would still do things like, Maybe give um, their employees food that was left over and maybe not the best quality and think that was an act of kindness. Because at the time, they were doing better and they were trying harder than the people around them. Now, this is where I'm on, I'm on the fence because maybe it was like the pay the pay scale, mm. right? We could talk about societal injustice or um, sleeping quarters, right? Because you get a house, that house has built sleeping quarters in there. You're, you're, yeah, you're inheriting sleeping quarters, you know, things like mm. that. But when it comes to like giving someone rotten food, mm. like that is, that's an individual decision. You know what I mean? I don't think that's an individual de- decision. I think that depends on how much humanity you attach to somebody. And if you come from an era or a society where certain individuals, black people, had less humanity, then in the same way, and this is like, you know, this is so deep because there's nothing right about it. I'm just trying to highlight that it's, it's, it's kind of, it's conditioning because that, you know, you learn to think that they're they're inferior and this is what this is what they need. Okay, so then they get cut some slack there, but then post post democracy people are telling you mm. this well, is wrong, this is unjust, this hurts us, this is not generationally sustainable for mm. us. Every single damn thing no, I that think you can once- ever possibly told is being told to mm. you. And you're still, and then it's not even, it's not even that, I mean, fine, I can understand when people don't want to be wrong, but to, to defend it to the death. Yeah. So there, I, I can't excuse that. I can't. What is that? So if you know, and you've been told, right. And if you, if you're somebody, um, 
who just doesn't live under a rock in a democratic South Africa and you read the paper, you know what I mean? And you're aware of the changes. And get surprised that there's racial tensions. And you're aware of the changes that that must happen, the changes that are are being demanded. Then I, I don't think, and the changes that are just, I don't think you have any excuse, but I think that there are certainly people, and those are the people I'm sad for, right? The people who... Don't have the awareness. The people in, 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 <laughs> you know, the older generations in, in small towns who, who kind of haven't had the exposure as much of the exposure, um, to, to freedom and to democracy and to equity, uh, where I can like, I'm not saying it's right, but I, it must be tricky for them when what is treating someone well on one day is completely wrong the next day. It must just be a difficult transition. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, I, I want to ask with that though, because sometimes, yes, I do understand and I remember in university I used to say that a lot, you know, like I can understand the conditioning, I can understand a lot of people were doing things they had no idea they were doing mm-hmm. or they, they didn't know what they were sus- subscribing to. But then I think as well about white flight, right? Mm -hmm. When in 1994, a lot of people got really scared. A lot of white people got really scared and fled the country. They thought black people were going to kill them. You know, they thought there was going to be mass violence, civil war, whatever it is they thought. Um, I would imagine if you didn't think you were doing anything wrong, you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine you wouldn't imagine repercussions like that towards you. So how, how is it, what did they imagine they were doing that warranted a civil war? So I'm again on the fence about like just how much was conditioning and how much was playing out something that you knew was hurting other people. But I mean, it's hard because it looks exactly the same. But um, I, but I think I'm I'm also at a position where I think okay, irrespective of what was the past, there's a certain level of responsibility worth taking, and it's not for the sake of feeling b- uh, perpetually ashamed or guilty because that's not productive whatsoever. Mm. But it's just for the sake of being aware with like the way that we treat each other, mm. or you know the the ways that some people get more benefits at work than other people, or you know, threat towards domestic workers, things like that, right? Like everyday social engagements Mm -hmm. are the things that sustain what was put in place legally before. Mm -hmm. And if we keep denying it, we'll keep like playing out those power dynamics and sustaining them. And that's literally like where I'm at. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't care that like, you know, you don't want to carry the past, whatever, but you're doing things right now. Mm. And right now is actually the greatest potential for us to create something. Really no, beautiful. absolutely. And by no means do I think that any conditioning can excuse um, treating somebody with in inhumanity at all, especially not in, in 2017, where like you're constantly bombarded. You know, you just have to leave your house, really, mm. you know, to be to be aware mm. of this country. I guess I'm just saying I'm not angry. I'm like, I'm, I'm not upset with you, but um, I don't excuse you either. What I did find really interesting as well, though, and this is something that I, I've actually thought about for like the duration of the time that we've done made mm. is that we've also always spoken about madams, right? And like, you know, when we reviewed the help uh, mm. movie, 
we did speak about the men. The men tend to be somewhat afterthoughts in that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they play secondary roles, but never really the, the direct role. Mm. Um, and also with the madams that we've interviewed, but I think that's a feminist issue. Mm. You know, like that in a way, the injustice on domestic workers tends to fall on the madam, mm. that this is a common knowledge thing, right? Yeah. We don't, we don't have a word. Like we're being scapegoated. Yeah. Like we don't have a word for men in, re- in that relationship. Master. But that's obviously but when is, like, when was, I mean, there's comp- boss, there's boss, there's in, boss in this country. Yeah. But, but like we tend to, you know, like we'll use boss more with garden boys. No, but the the fact that the word ma- madam has sustained. Yeah. There's something in that. Sure. And all of that from <laughs> a poem written by a white guy in 2017. I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, big ups to you, Robert. I really hope we can get this guy in studio. There's such an accuracy to it. <laughs> that's a bit like uncanny for... Or unusual for for a white guy, you know, and certainly, you know, we've always said that like men are usually perceived to have uh, little to do with the space. So for him in particular to have this kind of insight um, probably has a very very powerful backstory, and it's like quite a. There's not a lot of words in this poem. Which creatively is so brilliant mm. that it can actually lead to such a rich conversation, you know? And I think every, I, we, I don't even think we've scratched the surface. I think every single word, every full stop, mm. um, was very carefully considered. So this guy is like quite a G. And yeah, with that, I think that's a wrap. Thank you so much, uh, for joining us on the main sessions with cliffcentral.com. Ah. That's so bizarre. That was Siri. (laughs) She was clearly listening all along. Thank you, Siri. Um, And yeah, as Siri would advise you, please follow our Twitter page at Made Project, M-A-I-D-E Project, as well as our Facebook page, The Made Sessions. And we look forward to catching you next week. Have a very good afternoon. Bye. Bye. Cliffcentral.com.